the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about overcoming blindness, the real kind and the mental kind. In order to be able to reach peak potential, in other words, how, what's keeping you back? What's holding you back from reaching your dreams? Why aren't you reaching the things that you could do? Well, when you hear from our two guests today, you're going to ask yourself that question, and hopefully the answer will be nothing, and you're going to start right now to, uh, to, to go after those dreams, because my two guests have overcome incredible adversities to follow their dreams. Um, my first guest is Stosh Serafin, and he is a renowned figure skater, despite being blind from birth. He's also the author of You Can't Get It Because You've Already Got It, and he teaches people on and off the ice to stop putting their dreams on ice. My next guest is Roger Rizzo. He's the author of An Almost Fatal Miracle, and he overcame blindness of another sort. He had a motorcycle accident in 1995, and before that, he was a successful trial attorney, but this accident, which severely uh, compromised his health, made him see what really is important in life. So this was a blindness of a mental kind, of, of not really being able to see what was important, and Stosh not being able to see physically from the time that he was born. So welcome to the show. Thank you both for coming. I love it when I put two people together who haven't met each other but have stories that each other can relate to. Um, Stosh, let's start with you. Uh, you, you know I'm a psychiatrist, so of course I'm you know a medical doctor. So of course I'm one thing I'm going to be interested in to begin with is what actually um, caused you to be blind from birth. I uh, good afternoon, Carol, and thank you for allowing us to be on your wonderful show. I was uh, a premature baby, two months early, in the beginning of the seventh month, and I had the. Um, the incubator baby issues with the retrolentral fibroplasia, whatever it's called. It's a big word, and I never can say it correctly. Uh-huh. But anyway, it was the pure oxygen that burned the lenses of the mm. the eyes, and um, I guess they didn't realize I was a year old, and they thought I would be able to see, and one day they just realized I didn't. And the rest is history. Wait, one, you mean it, it, it took them till you were one? Did they think it was going to get better, you mean? Yeah, they they kind of. I didn't look like I was unsighted, if that makes any sense. I huh. they, what they were. I guess one day my pupils were not dilating or whatever that stuff they do. Mm-hmm. Since I'm totally blind, I don't understand all that business. But um, they went and took me to a, a specialist, and you know they just said it's impossible. And my mom never. She wasn't a driver in those days, so my dad had to. Uh, wait till we got home to tell her the news, and that was really, it was tough for them. Yeah, wow. To have that, but they did a great job, and, you know, part of the reason why they did a great job, I feel, is they were consistent parents. They they didn't 
see my blindness as the whole me. In other mm-hmm. words, they didn't have books on wholeness or wellness or whatever we have now, because that was in the 50s. I'm 55 years old, and so obviously I was born in 1953. So they just treated me like I was a normal child, and when stuff had to be dealt with, they would deal with it. And uh, who could ask for more? Yes, obviously that has that is... Um... You know, parenting, of course, is behind one's what one thinks one can do in life, whether for the good or for the bad. Now, did you um, go to a special school? I went from kindergarten to eighth grade to a school. It was called Overbrook School for the Blind. At that time, it was uh, a school only for uh, blind and partially sighted. Now it's got multi-handicaps, because I guess they all merged into one school, and it's a very great school. It's Overbook School for the Blind in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I'm from the suburbs of Philadelphia, so I'm still not far from it, and I learned all my basic reading and writing, Braille, all that good stuff, Um, and then I went to regular high school from ninth grade to twelfth grade, and then several years of college, and so on and so forth. Well, so when you were in high school and college, um, you were mainstreamed into regular classes. You had Braille textbooks. Is that how? We had the Braille textbooks, and we had, um, by the time a lot of times, the, the, by the time the end of the semester would, would um, arrive in high school or college, most of my books appeared. So it was a very tough time because it was tough for um, the readers to put them into Braille or onto, um, in those days, God, it was even before um, cassette tapes, it was reel-to-reels in the olden days. Hmm. In the late 60s and maybe 71, 72, we started getting the cassettes. and uh, So they had their hands full, and my teachers were really wonderful in um, high school as well as blind school. And it was a great experience. And um, mostly they treated me normal. You know, when you're a teenager, you kind of do your own tripping with your own mind. You know what I'm saying? Right. We kind of, you know, I didn't have total um, fulfilling self-esteem in the teenage days. It took a while for me to understand what that was about, if you know what I mean. Well, you mean, yes, I mean, uh, you're talking about, like, dating and and all of that. Yeah, and just, uh, you know, being coming into my own self, what I am, what I was about, and who I wanted to become, all that good stuff, and, uh, you know... We didn't have computers. We didn't have the Internet in those days. And it's still the same issues today. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, the kids have the computers. They have all this wonderful stuff. And they still have to, I guess you have to go through that. That's just part of, of uh, the the process of life to understand. You know, sometimes to go to the depths of your drama, to only come out of it, to be a better person. Yes. If that makes any sense. Yes. And so how old were you and when you decided to try ice skating, and where did this idea come from? Mike, this is such a crazy story. My, my cousins and my aunt were over visiting my brother. I have a younger brother. He's 18 months younger than myself. And we were all eating dinner, and then we were playing cards. I had the Braille cards, and we were kind of bored. We didn't know what we were going to do. And this was 1968. It was the year Peggy Fleming won her gold medal um, for the U.S. Uh-huh. So I, in the back of my mind, I was always intrigued at how she could do a wonderful sport like that because in my mind, and 
you know, from skating with her many, many times, she she's a beautiful skater. Of course, in those days, I didn't know that. So my cousin had a boyfriend at, at the skating rink, and uh, she said, I want you to come with me. My mom will drive us, and I want you to make him jealous because you're a good-looking guy. I'm like, whatever. And so mm-hmm. that's how it all started, and I put the skates on, and the owner of the rink was... He never saw a blind person on the ice before, so he didn't know what... Oh, wait, ha- so how old were you? Uh, I think I was like 16, 15, 68, something like that. I'm so old, I don't remember the name. <laughs> so, so when she wanted you to come to the skating rink, she meant for you to, to go on, to actually skate, like to be her partner on the, on the ice. Well, she sort of did because she wanted... Uh, her boyfriend uh, was a skate guard, and he was there, and he's a... Wasn't really. I did meet him after that. Nice person. So the owner of the rink was so intrigued with me that he he, he stayed with me the whole session, which was a two and a half hour session. And there must have been like six hundred, seven hundred people on the ice. It was. But wait, wait. Let's just back up for a minute because I'm still a little. I'm stuck with you. I, I mean, you had never. Um, okay, you you were sort of uh, captivated by the story of Peggy Fleming, but you had never been ice skating before, and you just kind of went down there and, and went on the ice. He, I put the skates on, and he held my hand, and we walked the whole time around and around the rink, and after two and a half hours of that, I was kind of bored with that, but I was intrigued with that. So he told me, since you have, you know, you walked, you didn't fall, you, you have good balance, and I'm thinking, well, how hard is that to walk? Yeah. You know, this is kind of a piece of cake. So he said, come back to club session uh, Sunday morning, which was the next day, and he said, uh, your aunt will bring you. I'm like, right. My mother was ready to kill her because, you know, my mother didn't want me to try skating because that would be time spent out of um, her schedule if we liked it, and if I did well at it, she would have to be the driver. Right. So uh, I went to the rink, and um, the owner was with me again, the owner of the rink, and he says, pick your foot up. I was skating on one foot, and I just lifted the other one up. He goes, you're stroking. And then I accidentally did a um, turn from a forward edge to a back edge. And uh, he told me the, the blades, there's inside edges and outside edges, just like your shoes or just like skis. I never skied, so I don't understand that. And he said, you just did a mohawk, an inside mohawk. And everybody, there were a lot of really good skaters there. And they said, you've got talent. And I'm sitting there, oh, these people are crazy. What do they know about talent? Well, I started taking, you know, lessons with him. He would teach me for free because he was so intrigued with the idea. And a couple years later, he said, you have to go to somebody else because you're a good skater and you outgrew my my skills. So you need to get with a high-skill coach. And that started the skating. Wow. And, and um, people had told you, there were some people who told you you couldn't do it. Yeah, we started when I started to get a little better, and I started to um, take preliminary figure and dance tests and all the good stuff, which I passed with really high marks. um, And there was no other blind person uh, ever tried it. And to my knowledge, there's no blind person at my level skating at this point. Nobody's doing double jumps like I was doing, or triples, or whatever, and so on and so forth. So we just got better and better, and every time somebody said I couldn't, it just made me want to do it more, like I couldn't turned into, well, I can. Uh-huh. And I am able to do it. And uh, 
through that adversity, it just got me to feel stronger and stronger. And there's something, though, quite interesting that happens when you get to feel a lot of anger, when you get frustrated, when you are told you can't do it enough times. There's a point you almost want to believe it, and then there's that point when it doesn't really matter what they say because the feeling good of it, if that makes any sense, the joy of it, the genuineness of whatever we're we're doing, mine is skating, Rogers is whatever he's doing, and you have, I'm sure, your hobbies that make you feel really good. And that's what it's about for me, to allow us to feel good with whatever we're, we're skilled at, if that makes any sense. Well, wow. <laughs> that was, uh, it, it's amazing. You know, you talk about it so nonchalantly, but um, it really did take a lot of courage to to just walk on, walk onto the ice. Um, I remember skating when my father used to take me ice skating. But we'll talk about that when we come back. It wasn't, I wasn't quite as successful at it as you were. I can tell you that, and I could see, I could see right where I was falling too. <laughs> well, we're talking today about overcoming blindness, the real and mental kind, to reach your peak potential. And we'll be back. My guests are Stosh Serafin and Roger Rizzo. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking with two guests. We've been talking so far with Stosh Serafin. He is a renowned figure skater despite being blind from birth. He's the author of You Can't Get It Because You've Already Got It. And we'll soon be talking with Roger Rizzo. He is the author of An Almost Fatal Miracle. And he overcame blindness of another sort, blindness to what's important in life. And we'll talk about his story in a little bit. But let's continue with um, <laughs> when we left, um, Stash was, uh, had walked onto the ice um, without without actually recognizing or or I mean actually did you have any fear or awareness? Huh? Maybe this is kind of difficult for someone who's blind, or is it that because you had already overcome or or dealt with so much in life, school and and friends and puberty and all of that, that this was just one more thing? You know, I skated with a whole bunch of people. You know, when I got. Um, I, it never occurred to me until I started to do... Um, I never fell much until I started doing double jumps, believe it or not. I landed most of my single jumps within 12 weeks of starting you know, starting them. It took me a year to do an axle, which is one and a half turns. You take off forward on an outside, uh, outside edge and go and land backwards on an outside edge. And it's supposed to be one and a half turns if it's done correctly. So I, after I started landing the axle... I was falling all over the place for a while doing doubles, and um, that's what kind of got me intrigued. There's got to be a better way because this falling business, being a kamikaze pilot on the um, ice, is just not good for your muscles. It's not good for bones. It's just not good, and it's cold when you fall. You know, it's it's not the warmest thing, and it's um, it's not embarrassing. It's just you know, it it just uh, you have to get up. It hurts. Yeah, and it's a little work to get up, and it's like, oh, God, it's so much easier not to fall. Yes. That's when unconsciously I started to think about and feel there's got to be a better way, and it took years and years for the better way to manifest itself. And um, I started getting, because I got better in skating, I got invited to a lot of prestigious skating shows. In 1975, I did the uh, Jimmy Fun in Harvard, University, that's the one that John Mishapekovich started years and I guess in, in, 
it was before 75, he started this for children with severe cancer. Hmm. And the first child was Jimmy, and that's why they named it the Jimmy Fund. And hmm. they uh, invited me for two Jimmy Funds, 70, 75 and 76, and I got to skate with the late John Curry and skated with Tuller Cranston and Dorothy Hamill and everybody that was anybody in the skating world. And um, I, you know, I didn't even realize. I knew it was an honor. And I was out there just doing my thing, and I fell on a double flip, and I slid right into John Curry, and I almost made him fall. And uh, my coach was like, you almost made him fall. And I said, I'm so sorry. She said, he was just amazed that you even could try a double flip. Uh-huh. And we talked about it, and, you know, after a while he came over and said, you know, what a great skater. And I said, he's a great skater because I, I just knew he was. I could hear his blades by that mm. point. Mm-hmm. My hearing got acute and very sensitive to all the nuances of what kind of sounds the blades make. So I could tell anybody's jumps, anybody that was skating with me. I could I could tell if it was a single or a double, if they did it correctly, just by the way the blade sounded. Because the blade doesn't lie. There's a certain sound that um, nice jumps make. And uh, um, it's almost like I got to see through sound, which started this whole investigation and um, intriguing about being a, a wonderful move, mover. Because I wanted to be a skater, a good skater, but I wanted to understand how could I connect with my audiences. Because if I'm a performer, I want to have something to say, because obviously I have a lot to say. I have a big mouth. I'm not real shy. I speak okay. I need a little more um, grammar skills sometimes. But on the ice, I, I can do a good job. And found modern dance teachers. We found all kinds of tips and tricks to help me. But it all came down to understanding how I was going to perceive and interpret what happened on the ice. So I started imagining the the, the um, blades as little braille dots. In other words, you have to palpate, touch the ice, just like you do uh, when you read braille with your hmm. fingers. And I got so intrigued and so in tune with that, that people started to notice the uh, sensitivity that I started to develop. And uh, my coach is a renowned, uh, a former national German champion, and she would have been a contender with Peggy Fleming in the 68 Olympics, but she developed tuberculosis, so she couldn't skate. She had a relapse. And uh, we became, we're still friends, and we still connect and teach together and do all kinds of crazy things. So... um, she was always tough on me, but not tough in a bad way. It's like the Helen Keller and Annie Sullivan mm-hmm. kind of connection. Um, she probably wasn't as nice as Annie Sullivan. <laughs> <Keller>. <laughs> because she was hard on me. I mean, when I didn't want to jump high, she said, you know, I said, I don't know how it feels. What am I going to do? And she'd say, if you jumped any higher, you could put a postage stamp under it. <laughs> she said, you know what? I can't tell you how to jump. When you're ready, you're going to do it. Huh. And I, I'm thinking, this woman is crazy. But you know what? She was absolutely, totally, 100% on target because when I felt it, I I could do the jumps, spins, whatever. And um, I think that was the hardest thing for me to ever do was a spin. Jumping was kind of easy. But the spins were hard at first to get that feel. But once it clicked in, you know, it, it's... With everybody, whatever we're doing, um, if we're patient enough, it's going to get 
better and better, and then it'll become the best. And the stuff that doesn't work, we're just not going to deal with it. And I guess it's part of the thing with ice skating, with the flow, and um, following the flow instead of the friction, because friction on ice is is brutal. I mean, you can really hurt yourself if the blades go one way and you go another way. Yes. Now, and that is what um, you have taken these lessons that you've learned um, to now be a motivational speaker. Yes, and and I teach people uh, when I give speaking engagements, and I also do something called sensitive energy coach. I'm a I'm a sensitive energy coach. I teach people on and off the ice how to do these little sensitive skills that I developed with the braille dots. Now, it's so funny about the braille dot, and you're going to love it if you're you're a psychologist. You're gonna, psychiatrist. Psychi- I'm close. sorry, psychiatrist. <laughs> you're going to know why sometimes boundaries are so important. Uh-huh. Because if you stay in a boundary, it focuses you, and a boundary isn't an, it's not a jail sentence, it's not a cell, it's 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 a place where you can feel safe and nurtured if it's a true boundary because you get the discipline, you get the clarity, you get the consistency, and you also, because it's a discipline, there's some kind of firmness, but it's also a flexible kind of firmness, there's fluidity, and to me that's consistency. But I, I only stayed in the spots that felt good, in the areas that felt comfortable. And you would think staying in a little area at first would make you get smaller and smaller. Well, they expanded into such degree that I can almost cover a whole rink if I want to. So, and is that one of the lessons that you teach about um, yep. helping people to expand from their little safe circle to the whole ring of life? Yes, and to feel that circle, because we do a lot of thinking about it and, um, you know, a lot less feeling about it. Yes. When you yes. feel something, you know, as a, as a, as a person who's been a, a doctor for how many, uh, for a while, I can tell just by your voice, you, you know, you get, people get frustrated, and they get frustrated when they don't feel the flow of it, it being whatever they're, Yes, whatever yes. whether it's ice skating or, or whatever, their, whatever their passion is, whatever they're trying to do. Oh, absolutely, because once once you get a boundary and once you feel a place that has a little fluidity, a little give and take, you know, there's always a way to get better because you're in a safe place. And it's the weirdest thing because skaters will argue with me. And I always say the slower, the better, the more sensitive, the stronger you'll get. Mm. And uh, I apply it with everybody Everywhere, and that's where we wrote our our book about. You know, you can't get it because you already got it. My friend Ruth and I co-authored this wonderful little book, and it is the motivation. It is the ability to have choice to change your mind whenever you want to. It's like turning a something impossible to something that could be possible or is possible. There's always that potential to turn it around. And then certainly, um, and certainly, <laughs> you prove what you're what you're telling other people to do. You walk your, you skate your talk. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the thing is, you, you know, you have to do it one little step at a time. You know, I'm so intrigued. I love the the philosophy of baby steps, because a baby step isn't always a baby step when you do one at a time. You know, you could climb a mountain if you want to, or you could climb whatever. It's it, it's just in the moment is the mastery. I I kind of feel. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, because we get so overwhelmed with what's going to happen in the future, but you know, little 
did I know when I was a, a younger person that my now creates my future and if I feel well now there's a darn good chance my future's going to be well yes yes absolutely well we need to take another break when we come back we're going to be talking with Roger Rizzo um, he is the author of An Almost Fatal Miracle we'll hear about that and you're listening today to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking about overcoming blindness, the real and the mental kind, to reach peak potential. We've heard about Stash overcoming his blindness, literally, uh, and now we'll hear from Roger talking about how he overcame his blindness to find a much more fulfilling life from, uh, from what we think of as uh, rich and successful to really what's rich and successful. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times do you want help then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. 
If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, uh, hoping that um, you, hoping to inspire you again today with my guests, who have overcome blindness, the real and the mental, to reach their peak potential, and you can too. We've been hearing from Star Seraphin, the author of You Can't Get It Because You've Already Got It. He's a renowned figure skater despite having been blind from birth. And now we're going to be hearing from Roger Rizzo, the author of An Almost Fatal Miracle, who overcame blindness of another sort to uh, see what was important, what is important in life. And um, I, I hope that you'll all appreciate how um, brave and difficult it is for Roger to be with us today because um, it, as part of his, his accident that he'll tell you about, his, um, one of his vocal cords uh, was cut. So um, it is an effort for him to speak, but he feels so passionate about sharing his story with everyone um, in the hopes that they, too, will find out what is really important in life. So, Roger, welcome to the show. Welcome. I would like to thank you, Dr. Carroll, for having me on the show to begin with. Okay. Now, let's... You're very welcome. Now, let's talk about um, what you were like before... Before your accident, um, you were a trial lawyer, and since one of the hats that I wear is as a, a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness, I know <laughs> what trial attorneys are like. Um, not, not, not all of them are liars, um, but, but <laughs> certainly they are mostly aggressive sharks. And, and you admit, in fact, that um, you're, you obsessed in your in your prior life, in your life before the accident, um, you too obsessed over material things and and uh, what we consider the hallmarks of success. Could you tell us a little bit about what you were like before your accident? I'd be happy to. I I went to ten years of college. I have three different college degrees. My last degree was in law. I went to work for I used law firm with over 500 attorneys. Every attorney in the law office was a, a civil trial attorney. Nobody tried criminal cases, only civil cases. Okay, let me just make sure that people can understand that in case. Okay, um, what Mr. Rizzo is saying is that he, he has three degrees from college. The last one was as a lawyer, and he went to work for a huge law firm with 500 attorneys practicing civil law. Go ahead. Okay. I, I ended up trying approximately 30 cases during my career as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Some of those cases were the largest in the United States. I was on TV up in trying cases, in fact. For the most part, my clients were major corporations in the U.S. I won every case. I attributed... You won every case. Wow. Um, and these were, these were, as you were saying, uh, the, some of these cases were, were very high profile and you were on television. I mean, this is like the good life, right? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And I went to church every Sunday, but it was just a short 
service an hour or less. At that point, I didn't really focus on what I now believe really truly matters in life. Yes, when you went to church, even though you went to church every week, you didn't really focus on what you realize now matters. Yeah? Because back then, to work as a civil trial attorney, trying huge cases, I had to work 60, 70 hours a week. Wow. totally ready for each and every trial. Yes, he had to work 60 to 70 hours a week getting ready for the trial, and I can totally relate to that because that's what I... <laughs> That's what I do in getting ready for uh, the trials that I testify in. It's very grueling. Life has to stop. Okay, and all of a sudden, one day, what? What? Um, one day you were riding your motorcycle when the accident happened. Where were you? Do you think that? Um, do you think that that part of why the accident happened had was because you were sort of running yourself into the ground? Actually, uh, I'll tell you more about what it's about. My accident occurred on June 30th, 1995, over 13 years ago. And I was on the back, the back of another attorney motorcycle in Tiburon, California. Wait a minute, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, you, I, I, I sort of lost you there. Um, the accident happened on June 30th, 1995, and then I, I didn't understand what you said. Okay. I was on the back. Oh, the yeah. Rear, rear portion of the motorcycle. It had been driven by another lawyer in my law firm. Oh, wow. So you weren't even driving the motorcycle. I wasn't, no. Oh, my. Okay, yes. For some unknown reason, he went over a, a, a cliffside. I really see hillside in Tiburon, California. And I wasn't wearing a helmet. Oh, wow. So when I was going down the side of the really steep hill, my entire body had many, many large rocks and boulders. Okay. What um, Roger is saying is that, uh, um, <laughs> boy, <laughs> you know, the, the first... Certainly, um, the lawyer who was driving the motorcycle, you said he went over this cliff, and you don't really know why. Was Do you think it, and and you weren't wearing a motor uh, helmet, which, of course, is a lesson for everyone. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, and so your head and your whole body hit all these rocks and boulders. And do, do you, do you, did you ever find out, or what was this lawyer who was driving the motorcycle thinking? Do you think that he was... Um, overworked and distracted by, you know, or, or not having gotten enough sleep, or wh- what do you think, or, or alcohol, or what was going on? Well, well, neither him nor I remember the accident at all. Oh, uh-huh. We came from a, a restaurant in Tearborn, and, and it was a celebration of over trial victory, so maybe he had too much drink. I don't know. I don't remember and neither did he. Yes, which often happens after a, an accident with a head injury that you don't remember what happened right before the accident. But, boy, how how dramatic that is, going from a, a party celebrating victories to, to this accident. Exactly. Okay, and? and? My body stopped about 15 feet 
above the San Francisco Bay. Hmm. If I had gone any further, I would have drowned. But I was picked up by a police helicopter and taken to a hospital. You were picked up by a helicopter and taken to a hospital near, and this was in San Francisco, yeah? Yeah. At the hospital, I was treated by many doctors. My family came out of the hospital. They were told initially that I was going to almost definitely going to die. And then when I didn't die, the doctors told my family I'd be in bed forever. Then when that didn't occur, they said, I'd be in a wheelchair forever. But thankfully, none of that has occurred. They, they told your family that you would die, and then, then when that didn't, when you didn't die, they said you were going to be in bed forever, and then, and then, what? That they a wheelchair forever. A what? Forever? A wheelchair. Oh, in a wheelchair forever. Okay, yes. And basically, none of that came out to be true. I basically recovered to the point where I can walk easily by myself. I also am, am completely normal, I believe, except my balance is a little off, and obviously my speaking is not great. Yes, yeah, so so you've recovered normal function pretty much in every way except for your your speaking because of your vocal cords having been injured. Yes, and, uh, of course, I was doing accident. I was seriously incredibly seriously brain injured. Yes. And to the best of my knowledge, I've recovered from that, but who knows? Yes, well, it, it, it seems like you must have put in a tremendous amount of um, work and time to to recover from this. I mean, I, brain injury takes, it's, it's a very tedious process to get back to, to functioning. I totally agree. It took me many months, even years, to recover. But over the last eight years, the only thing I've done on a full-time basis is volunteer work. Well, and that's, yes, and that's what um, we're probably going to be Having, I'm going to, we're hearing the music for a break, but that's what I want you to tell people about. Um, what when you woke up from the coma and you were in a coma or unconscious for five and a half months? Um, what in your, what made you change? You know, what what um, what process did you go through? Uh, and I'm sure, obviously, as as you were recovering and able to think about all this, um, I'd like you to to share with us what process you went through in order to make you realize that um, that the things that really count is being a volunteer and is helping people who are poor and elderly and mentally and physically ill because, uh, you know, that's what we all need to learn before we get into a motorcycle accident. I mean, you know, hopefully we don't ha- all have to have accidents like this to, um, to learn these lessons. So when we come back, we'll hear more. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and my two guests are uh, helping us, inspiring us to understand um, how to reach our peak potential and overcome adversity. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guest jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm talking with you today about how to overcome adversity and reach your peak potential with my guests, Stosh Sarafin, who is the author of You Can't Get It Because You've Already Got It. He is a renowned figure skater despite having been blind from birth. And we've been talking with my uh, next guest, Roger Rizzo. He's the author of An Almost Fatal Miracle, and he overcame blindness of a different sort, um, realizing what's important in life. And during the break, we were talking, and... um, (laughs) Wow, he's overcome um, a lot more than just the uh, the accident and the physical problems that that caused. Um, we were talk. I was asking him whether who took care of him when he came home from the hospital after months and months and months of of therapy. Um, well, uh, first five and a half months being in a coma and unconscious, and then um, you know all kinds of medical extensive medical treatment and therapy and for traumatic brain injury and his vocal cords being injured and so on. And um, he said that his wife, um, he was married and he had four daughters and two of them were six-month-old little girl uh, twins. And um, his daughter threw him out of the house, his daughter, his wife threw him out of the house 
because um, all of a sudden he wasn't the rich, successful trial lawyer who she married or who she was married to. Um, that makes the whole situation even more, even more difficult. So, Roger, tell us about um, how what change came over you in the hospital and what you do now. Okay. Well, I I believe I was as I say largely unconscious for five and a half months. I believe that I was inspired by God to live my life very differently than I did before. Also, doing my volunteer work, I spent a, a great deal of time thinking about what my purpose, purpose in life is. I did I now consistent to with God's ideas. You were, you spent a lot of time, yes, being in the hospital, getting well, um, trying to understand what purpose God had for you, and I, I guess asking yourself why this happened to you. Okay, yes. Before my accident, I I I, I won I won every case. I tried some YouTube cases, and I got grateful looks on maybe a company person's face. But now I think what I'm doing. It's so much more worthwhile. Yes, what you're doing now is more worthwhile than, than having won all these uh, high-profile 30 cases. Yes, and tell us what you are doing. Okay, well, uh, after I began to recover, I moved to Maui, Hawaii. I lived on Maui, Hawaii for five years. Huh. On Maui, Hawaii, I did volunteer work for 17 different organizations. You did what for 17 organizations? Volunteer work. Oh, for 17 organizations? Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, yeah. Well, mostly churches, also public institutions, hospitals, and charitable institutions. Well, one of which was uh, the Hawaii Supervised Commission. The Hawaii governor found out about my activities, and she appointed me to be a Hawaii Supervised Commissioner, which is basically the highest judge in the executive branch of government over there. And and um, and what did you do for these different organizations? I mean, you were helping the poor and the people with physical and emotional problems, right? And and what did you what did you do for them? Okay, well, basically four different activities. The first was I gave them. Legal assistance. Mm, yes. So from back, my background. Also, I help them out business-wise because I have a master's degree in business. And I've done some business work, too. Yes. Okay. The third thing was I help them do all their construction work. I have an electrical contractor's license. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I did electrical work. I did plumbing, carpentry Oh, no. Uh-huh. And lastly, I entertain this, which includes mostly elderly, disabled, and sick people. I tried to make the list more meaningful and more fun. Wow. So, um, so there you were after all of this trauma. Your family left you. Your wife left you, abandoned you after... After you were in this state and you couldn't uh, be for her, um, you know what she, what her fantasy was, 
um, which showed how deep her love was to begin with. Um, and you went to Hawaii and helped people on Maui with um, law, your your business law construction and uh, ability to help them find their purpose like you were able to find yours for 17 different charities. I mean, you know, somebody else could have easily either had a pity party for themselves, especially with your family leaving you, um, or um, or just, you know, spent money, whatever you got from the accident, um, just on amusing yourself. And instead, you devoted your life to helping people who um, you felt were less fortunate, and that was your purpose that you found. And, man, if that isn't a lesson to all of us, um, I don't know what is. Both of my guests uh, have taught us incredible lessons today, and I want to make sure that you can find out more about them um, and get their books. Both of your books are on Amazon in addition to your websites, right? Yeah, but my book can be ordered by a simple telephone call. Okay, and what's that number? Okay, it's 1-800-AUTHORS-AUTHORS. 1-800-AUTHORS. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. My and book is called An Almost Fatal Miracle. Yes. And um, Stash, you have a website, stashskate.com. That's a uh, stash. I, I've been saying it stash before. We right. Stash, stashskate.com, which is spelt like stash, S-T-A-S-H, S-K-A-T-E.com. Um, you should go to that also to see uh, on YouTube, on his website, there's one um, YouTube uh, video that you have to see, but then there's another one on YouTube that he hasn't yet put on the website, but he will. That's amazing. Um, seeing him dance, dance, it is, you know, skate, but it does look like a dance on skates um, in front of an audience while they're playing. You'll never walk alone. Man, if, uh, if that isn't poignant. Um, well, you know, it relates to what Roger is going through. You'll never walk alone because that was my inspiration. And listening to Roger and listening to you, Carol, this is going to inspire me for a long time to come. Well, I'm very glad, and you two have inspired me and my audience, I'm sure, my listeners. By the way, um, I have a website also. I have a website also. That, that, what, you have a website also? Uh, yes. Okay, and what is that? Okay, www.thebooksnameamostfatalmiracle.com. Oh, okay, and almostfatalmiracle.com. Exactly. Okay, okay, great. So um, so all of you can listen, can go to their websites and listen more, and you can order the books. And um, in the meantime, I hope you will also say your prayers tonight and thank God for all the uh, things that you have in your life that, uh, that, that you, you know, if you thought you had it bad, um, you should be very grateful for the things that we overlook and take for granted in our lives, and, and both of my guests have shown us that, and they've over, been our great inspirations and continue to be and have overcome incredible adversity to become inc- incredibly successful in, uh, in a very special way, in a much more meaningful way. So again, uh, thank you both. That's Stash Serafin. The book is You Can't Get It Because You've Already Got It. His website is stashskate.com. And Roger Rizzo, 
his book is An Almost Fatal Miracle. The website is analmostfatalmiracle.com. And thank you all for listening, and, uh, and thank you both for being guests and sharing your stories. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.